Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lean. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. Um, so I see a lot of, we have questions. Three of us here are going to Alaska on a hunt, right? And we're all going to go caribou hunting, although you're on a different hunt than... Those those are caribou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so help us out. Like, yeah. don't shoot the moose. Don't shoot a moose. Uh, the, hit, the caribou, you know, don't shoot the other stuff. Avoid the bison if we see one. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I know a lot of people online I've seen have a lot of questions. So first off... If I wanted to do a shoulder mount, what what is the most common mistake? The capes are cut too short. So the cape is what we refer to of the skin that's going to actually be the deer head, shoulder, neck, all of that. Uh, back in the days, back in the 40s and 50s, they did basically neck mounts. So those capes would be cut real short. Well, nowadays it's a shoulder mounts, a whole lot of shoulder scenes. So you have to go behind the shoulder when you're making your cuts. So our biggest issue are split briskets when they got them. Um, of course, every now and then we get the old timer that slits the throat still. You don't do that. Um, but you got to keep in mind when you walk up on the animal and it's laying there dead, are you going to mount it? And it's like, let's take our time and take care of it. That's not the time to get in a rush and start, you know, boogering it up. Okay. So, so you mean by they're cut too short, they're cut too short towards the shoulder. Yeah. And then down to... We'd rather have more cape than we need than not enough because okay. then you're altering the form and cutting off several inches of a form and you're going to get charged, you know, for that. Okay. So. And then now when people transport them down here, right, say they do, and not everyone's trying, but a lot of hunters are flying or driving to somewhere. Do people make mistakes in that at all? Yeah. Um Again, on these uh, capes, what we look for, well, here's an antelope, not to be mistaken with your caribou that you're going for. I will try to avoid. So here's a deer cape. We just got this back from the tannery. Uh, Taxidermists send things off and get them professionally, commercially tanned. So if you want to hold that and that, you see everything is here. You've got your brisket, your underarms. This is way back behind the shoulder, so you're going to be able to do a full mount on that. Okay. And so you're going like all the way down to almost like where the rib cage meets. Uh, pretty the, much the, okay. the uh, sternum, you know. So yeah. when you're gutting an animal, you don't have to go up, clear up into his neck. You can stop at the sternum and, and you know get all the guts out from there. Okay. Reach so. in and reach in with the arm and get the rest, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So um, the people, though, are they salting them before they come back, or are they just wrapping we them up? We prefer that you don't salt them, because that's going to start drying them out, and we can't uh, flesh the meat and, and fat off of it. Uh, 
cut it off as close as you can to the back of the skull, leaving the cape hanging on. Keep it cool. The main thing is getting it to the taxidermist as soon as you can. Some guys, they might kill one opening day, and they don't want to make a trip down, you know, from, from the hunting to bring a deer here. They're like, well, let's wait till the other guys fill up, you know, and it mm-hmm. could be three, four, five days later if you're hunting in September in archery season. Uh, most likely that cape could spoil in that amount of time. So it's it's an investment to, hey, I'm going to leave camp, go down, you know, down to the town and uh, get this to a taxidermist. Okay, well, we're flying in on this hunt, doing a drop camp. So obviously they're not going to... Uh, Turn around and just give us a taxi right then and be like, no, hey, guys. Not. Do you have salt being brought in to your camp? See, that's I've gone on moose hunts and caribou hunts. I'm the taxidermist in camp. I have and pay to have salt that's either flown in or boated in because we're going to take care of those animals right there. Okay. Um, it has to be taken care of. You're not going to get the caribou out with his head cut off, and you're not picked up for seven or eight days. Most likely that's not going to make it. So it has to be at least caped off the head, kept cool as possible okay kept cool and i can go over a few little pointers with that before you go on your trip yeah is there a special salt that you need or like could you just bring some morton's you know morton's would work uh taxidermists buy their salt by the 50 pound bag from like the feed stores you know for horses and things like that it's a mixing salt that uh, ranchers use so uh yeah you could get by with morton's but i'll have people say oh no we take care of it we we salt it and it's like they had a salt shaker and put some on there no that's it's going to be many pounds of salt that you'll use okay how many pounds would you want well to use for like a salt? moose cape i'm going to use over 50 pounds right off the bat for for the first salting first coat um, caribou you'll probably get by with 25 30 pounds first coat it don't take long to use up that salt you're going to spread it out on it about a quarter inch thick so you're not just putting a handful of salt and then rolling it up that's not going to do it okay so. now we're hunting kind of early in the season right so we may run into animals that are you know in velvet and we may run into animals that aren't and we may run into animals that are anywhere in between what kind of recommendations do you have, say, if we shoot a really beautiful velvet one like you have up there, and and it's fully in velvet? Okay. Um, the velvet's not going to last unless it's taken care of up in camp. Unless you killed one towards the end of the season and two days later you're, you're back in the States or whatever and can get it to a taxidermist. Back in the day, I mean, a lot of these antelope are from 20, 25 years ago. I took formaldehyde with us. Uh, I had all of us, 12 of us would go on these caribou hunts. I'd have everybody pack salt. I'd take uh, the formaldehyde, hypodermic needles, the whole thing, and actually take care of the antlers in camp. Now, what most guys will do, because they don't have a taxidermist in camp or have the formaldehyde or the substitute that we use now, which is about 90% alcohol, um, and not the drinking alcohol. This is okay. So don't know. take a bottle of whiskey yeah, and just start injecting it in. No, whiskey's too good to use it on that. Okay. Um, and yeah, I would take care of them up there. But what most of the guys are doing now is stripping the velvet while they're up there in the camp, because um, it's going to be bloody. And a lot of times they're putting it down in in the lake, tie a rope to it, toss it over in the lake, and that starts softening it. And you can literally start peeling it off. Okay. So now if we strip the velvet. Is and I mean your hunting buddies must have been incredibly fortunate. They mm-hmm. have a yeah. a really good taxidermist in camp handling all that stuff. Now, if we start stripping the velvet, are there things we want to watch out for or not do, 
Or what do you do with one that the velvet's been stripped? Well, once we get them back to from you, they're going to be white with blood on them, mm-hmm. you know, because they've been stripped. There's still blood in them. And what we will do is uh, soak them underwater for could be a day or two, getting all the blood out of the antlers that we can. Uh, okay. not, not just the blood that's on the surface, because sometimes uh, you kill them early in the season, which sounds like yours. I mean, ends of the points on those antlers aren't going to be completely pointed and formed. They're still growing, so they're going to be kind of soft and rounded. So um, you just got to handle them gently. Most likely your antlers are going to get cut in half for the fly back on the are you on a float plane or coming in on a um we're going in on uh, just a little a uh, little one-seater plane i don't know exactly uh, i would have to look it up um but even then if we fly back with say alaskan airlines or something it's likely that they're going to be cut in half yeah there and as well. they're also the airlines are used to handling you know these raw capes that are coming from um, the different outfitters and stuff okay what about taking the cape rolling it up and putting saran wrap around real tight a lot of saran wrap and just making it into almost like a little cape log okay if the cape hasn't been processed meaning the ears turned inside out lips split and, and all the meat and fat off and then salt it, you're putting it in something that's not going to let it breathe, and most likely that's going to cause it to spoil. That's, that's the worst thing is having a cape sitting around uh, unprocessed in a bag that's sealed up. Okay. So it's going to be tough. I have some extra uh, caribou capes if, uh, you know. Oh, if we, if we jack up our caribou capes? If you jack them up. Um, now... Okay, so what would be better? Put it in a breathable... Do you have a way of getting it frozen there? I mean, Possibly, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's also like, we could, you can handle it on a plane or you can pay a fee and do like Alaska Trophy Express. Mm-hmm. They bring it down here a month or two later. Is there a benefit you know of one way or the other? Well, you hate to get a lot of money invested in shipping it down and hoping it turns out. Now, you've paid all that money, or you can pay the money up there to expediters that get them dry salted, and then they can sit around for months or a year. Once they're dry salted, that's fine. It's once we send them to the tannery and we get them back six months later, you know, that they're these nice, soft, you know, leather on one side, clean fur on the other. Yeah. But when it goes in, and we can take a tour later, we got... Uh, dry salted capes sitting around that we're getting ready to ship off so okay i can show you that but there's a lot of work to that in camp as far as taking care i mean a moose you're definitely not gonna let that sit around for <laughs> a couple of days and think it's gonna be okay now that is a really big moose That's up a there. Big one. Yeah. um how much bigger is that than normal well, that one there's Alaskan moose over in the corner, and he's he's a couple of sizes smaller. He's about mm-hmm. 52 inches wide. He's still a mature bull, but that one in particular is on the biggest moose form that I can find from any company. So it's a giant moose. The antlers, you know, there's certainly antlers that are bigger. That one's 63 inches, made Boone and Crockett. So it's a respectable moose, but it is a very large body of one. What do you think he uh, was on the hoof? Mm-hmm. Not something you want to carry out. (laughs) Well, you know, they're not as big as a horse, but they're uh, way bigger than an elk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you you walk up to a nice-sized bull and you're thinking that it's going to be a similar experience, Mm -hmm. or you come from deer hunting and you walk up on your first bull, you usually say, oh, holy cow, this is a big And then with your caribou, 
they're not they're not close to being as big as an elk so they're going to be in that 300 350 pounds i mean they're large mule deer yeah, big big you know but just it's not going to be an elk yeah so. yeah okay so you have quite the extensive collection here you know and some of the things i've heard people ask online is can you make money being a taxidermist now just a little bit of chatting we did before you could probably retire on just selling your deer mounts around this room yeah, and a few a, of the others. I've got a lot more in storage, a lot more hanging in sporting goods stores. You saw the dungeon briefly. I've got a lot of them big ones down there, too. The ones that are of value are the ones that make Boone and Crockett record book. Yeah. You know, that's what the collectors want. There's a lot of collectors in the world of collecting. I mean, I'm a known collector, but I'm small time with the guys that own two and three hundred really? you know, Boone and Crockett heads. Wow. And their collections are worth in the millions of dollars. Wow. Yeah. How so, many Boone and Crockett animals do you think you have? I've got probably 20 to 25. Okay. And that's counting you know, caribou, moose, antelope, but mostly the mule deer is, is my thing. Yeah, I mean, we were sitting here like, well, which mule deer would you take? Yeah. Which mule deer would you take? I yeah. mean, yeah, you even have a small black coal one there that uh, <laughs> I don't know if I saw that in the woods. I'd be a little like, huh, that's uh, different. So that's a melanistic deer, meaning it had an overproduction of the pigment melaton, so it mm-hmm. turned it black. That's like one in several million, where a, a, a albino could be one in a million. Yeah. So it's even more rare oh, way, than an albino. Way rare. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you see one of those in the woods. Should you be shooting it to get it out of the gene pool? Does it not matter, or should you just be... You know, I don't know how the gene pool is going to work, whether his offspring are going to be black deer, or is it going to skip a few generations? Right. You know, that kind of happens. So it's like, how does one all of a sudden be a albino mule deer and the mom and dad were just normal you know colored mule deer so it's just one of those things so so you mentioned the collectors and we talked a little bit beforehand you said like cabela's is a collector right mm-hmm. are there a lot of just private collector yeah. people that are like they have a a big cabin in or a big lodge or something like that and are the are those collectors avid hunters as well or are they just more collectors no most of them are hunters okay. and they've come to appreciate the very large antlers on deer and mm-hmm. elk and uh you know the the most sought after collectible item out of the antler world is mule deer it is so, because yeah. they can have such a large uh mm-hmm difference to it. Yeah, and when it's officially entered, that's when this is a legit Boone and Crockett buck, you know, a person could say, oh, I scored it, and it scored 201. You know, well, that doesn't mean that's what it is. It's got to be officially scored and be in the record book. And what happens, like, with the ones that I own that are in the record book, I might know the history of it and who killed it. Could have been back in the 40s or 50s. A lot of times it's unknown how this rack came about. Someone found it dead back in the 60s and left it to their kid who sold it to somebody, and I could end up with it 50 years later, and I don't even know what state it came out of. Sometimes I'm able to find that out sale garage sale i buy them at garage sales they're not everywhere at, at garage sales anymore because people know the value of these big antlers okay. so they're few and far between anymore so where do you source these now as in i mean do, do you do you just check everything do you do you 
go to garage sales, estate well, I, sales. Estate sales, estate sales or, auctions. I don't do a lot of internet stuff because that means a whole lot of people are looking at it that has more money than me, so I'm not going to get a deal on it. My best deals are someone that, uh, and I hate to say it, the old guy dies, and the wife is like, I can finally get these heads out of my living room, and she's like putting them at a yard sale for 20 bucks a pop. And she's wanting to put some fine art in place of it, you know, and the old guy was like, I loved his mounts and yeah. stuff. So how did you get into taxidermy? Um, I kind of started hunting at an early age, uh, and I was an artist that could actually paint pictures and things like that so when i was going to go to college it was either to be a, a phys ed teacher or be an art teacher and it's like no nah, i wanted to coach so i got into uh, teaching school but the whole time i was in college is kind of when i started doing taxidermy i was back in virginia and it is an art you know it's not mm-hmm. some redneck thing we do it's art and um I thought, man, taxidermists in Virginia, we're going to be doing whitetails, the occasional bear rug, some turkeys and largemouth bass. I said, the place to be is out west. Because, I mean, we have 20 to 25 different animals that we can get in during our hunting seasons, you know. Um, So I I did the school teaching there for about seven years. I moved out here in 86 to start a taxidermy business. But no, you don't just put an ad in the phone book and put a sign out in your yard and you're making a living. I was working at a health club while I was building this business. As this business got bigger, less and less days at the health club to the point of taxidermy is all I do. And this is my 34th year in business pay the bills, everything's paid for, always have three to five employees year-round paying their salary. So there's money coming in, but taxidermists don't get rich, that's for sure. You know, you're lucky if you are able to do it for a living. Um, kind of like being a school teacher. You're not doing that for the money. You're, you're doing it because right, you right. enjoy going to work every day. And, of course, I love doing my thing here from my, my property, my facility. So... I'm not in the traffic, don't have to deal with anything. and Yeah, you have quite the spread here. Fun time. And you have a lot of impressive animals. And to clarify, you're also a pretty avid hunter. You have a scary lion in there. Scary you, lion. We'll probably see that somewhere uh, on a tour here in a little yeah, while. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, did you say it was number five? In when North I killed America? it, was number five up on the Grand Mesa. And uh, when we were packing this out... Uh, we had a rope around the neck. This is the day after Christmas. We were in like two feet of snow, very rocky up there. Rope slipped out of the hand of the uh, guide and outfitter. And I was standing at the edge of a cliff with nowhere to go. And that lion came down. I spread my legs for it to go on through. And his little dew claw hooked my pants leg and took me off that cliff. Ooh. Yeah, I ended up in the hospital. But good thing I fell on my head. Otherwise, I could have been really hurt so but no it messed me up and that's been back in 97 so the lion did try to kill you well he's in my living room and i'm alive so (laughs) So you won i won (laughs) you won uh that one um what kind of story do you get with when these hunters bring them do they do they tell you a story and you're like holy shit that's a cool story you just said shit Uh, we're not we're not we're in the man cave. We're in the man cave. 
Um, yeah, I hear some stories, and some guys can tell some stories, and some guys can't. It's like I'm not able to follow it. It's like, would you hurry up, dude, and fill out this invoice and give me some money? Because, get, get the heck out of here. Yeah, but get. no, I enjoy the hunters, and uh, I love their stories, but you know, some of them got you at the edge of the seat, and it's an exciting story, and then you got to hear the ones that... Yeah, they just... Well, that one New Mexico bull you showed me years ago was pretty wild. The one that had stuff and, going off And the we side. can look at that, too, after a while. Okay, so. okay. And I, I've seen that you're doing repairs, mm-hmm. like antler repairs. That seemed to, mm-hmm. that seems like that would be pretty involved and time-consuming. And I use real antlers. I don't use any sort of resin or anything. Um, you know, and you get people come in, they might have one antler broke off on the elk. And so now instead of it being six by six, it's six by five. And they're like, nope, that's how he was. That's how I want it. Or they'll say, can you fix that? I'll say, yeah, I can, I can come up with another antler and match that other side and be a perfect six point, you know. So that's how you typically do it is like you'll get an antler off of a shed that you find or something yeah. instead of trying to glue the two pieces together. Well, we won't normally have the original one that broke uh, okay. off. They yeah, fight, it gets broke, it's out in the woods somewhere. So, yeah, rarely do we have, you know, the original antler that broke off to put back on, so... And do you have any favorite stories or any favorite animals that you've done, like any that stand out? Well, anything that's real rare, like coal behind yeah. you, the melanistic deer, that was cool. Anytime I'm doing uh, something that is record book, because it's tough to kill something that makes the record book. You know, that's why so many hunters salt after trying to get something that's a legit record book. But any of those are really exciting to do because people are always coming by. What are you working on? Doing this Boone and Crockett mule deer, you know, check it out. As opposed to, oh, I'm mounting this fork horn. You know, that's not really <laughs> exciting. So. You know, um, there's a guy I know that I wish I could get on the podcast, uh, Munther. He said, told me, I was hunting with him in Arizona one day, he told me that he'd killed several animals that were record book animals, but he doesn't put them in the record book because he disagrees with the record book. Mm-hmm. That the record book celebrates the hunter, not the animal. Okay, but I will talk to official scores that say it's not about the hunter it's bragging rights and there's a whole lot of hunters that only want to get one in the record book for their bragging rights oh i'm a you know big hunter i killed a boone and crockett it's literally to honor the animal and you're able to look in there and see when it was killed what state it was killed in who killed it how many points the spread what it scores and all that but it's kind of a way you look in that record book, you go, look how many Boone and Crockett's come out of Colorado. You know, Colorado has a lot of, a lot of record book heads, mule deer yeah, yeah. in the books, where Colorado doesn't have a lot of antelope record book heads in there. Now, where are they? Arizona and New Mexico are the better areas, you know, to hunt antelope. So a way you can kind of educate yourself on where's all these big deer coming from. And that Grand Mesa up there is public land. It's not a special draw unit, and uh, every year there's a few Boone and Crockett's killed up there. As far as mule deer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you've been involved in the hunting industry for a long time now as a taxidermist, avid hunter and stuff. How have you seen it change over the years? I mean... Seems like the guy with the most money kills the better animals. Oh, yeah. I mean, a regular Joe like me is hunting public land. Mm-hmm. You know, and then here some guy comes in, he's killed this giant elk and killed it up on Glade Park or, you know, Unit 61, one of these places that take, you know, 14, 15 points, in some instances 20 points to draw. Or 
um, oh, I married the, the rancher's daughter, and he had extra vouchers, and he gave me a tag, and I could come up and, you know. They will pass up more six-point elks in just a couple of days of hunting that I'll see in 10 years on the Grand Mesa. I mean, it's just different hunting, private ranches as opposed to public land where everybody else is. Yeah, I, I did a tour on, it was a private ranch over off Black Mesa area, and yeah, they knew where all the big animals were. They were like, oh, he's about a 440 over here, <laughs> you know, uh, and stuff. But at the same time, I don't know, myself, I like kind of the adventure and the unknown mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more so than the certainty of I paid for a 400 plus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to shoot a 400 plus. I, I imagine that's got to be phenomenally expensive too. Yeah. And, you, of course, they have shooting ranches high fence that we don't count that you know as hunting but there's certainly people that pay big money and kill these elk that score you know 450 to 500 and they're crazy non-typicals and Mm -hmm. you know i'm mounting it for you and i'm making money and that's great but it's not like you're out there hunting and scouting and yeah putting your wits with that animal it's it's like now which one do i shoot which one do i pay for you know it's like right. th- that's not hunting it's so. kind of grocery store yeah. hunting yeah. i heard uh something a while ago that i just kind of want to clarify is one of the reasons why mule deer are so highly sought after is because you can't raise them in like high fence ranches i heard that a while ago whereas like you know a lot of the big elk and white high fences yeah is that and that's kind of true yeah. yeah um i really don't know of ranches that you know, we're growing mule deer. It's uh, the elk and, and whitetails back east, a lot of, a lot of ranches, shooting ranches. You so did, that could be very true. You yeah. did have, I don't see it this time. I saw it when I was here last time. You used to have a really impressive whitetail that you said was from a fenced ranch in Pennsylvania or something like that. Yeah, the racks. Yeah. They're downstairs. They're oh, in they the are. dungeon. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going to guess. You might see them. You keep teasing people with uh, things. Well, we're going to have to do a little walk around. Yeah, it, yeah we are. It yeah. is coming. We definitely are. Um, yeah, I don't know. You guys got any more questions? Uh, I'm, I'm ready to check this place out. Yeah, I think we can move to the walk around section. Let's uh, go in receiving so you see how much work that i do that keeps me busy full time okay you know there are a lot we we didn't touch on that uh you know doing taxidermy for a living most people can't make it you know like i say i'm 34 years in business most people give it a couple of years but you have to come in to this with a game plan it's like like i say you don't just put a sign out there and add in the phone book takes a while to build a clientele Clientele. well what are you going to do for money while you're trying to build your business i worked at a health club till this business you know took off you sold coke dude you said that on (laughs) <laughs> um pepsi no coke now do you ever get bored of what you do or no but you can certainly get into just the same thing over and over so you want want a different animal the ones that take a lot of time i don't look forward to are bear rugs i mean bears are cool but it's two weeks of drying. It's on a big giant board. It's in the way. It's not like I mount a deer head and set it aside and let it dry. The, you know, I get three or four bears on these big boards. They're in the way for a while. And then we got to do the felt borders and the backing. So they're a lot of work. So that's one that I don't want to get too many of them going at one time because they're a lot of work, time consuming. But uh, as far as getting bored, no, nah, really every day is 
it's fun. It is. Now, now you'll buy antlers and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. from uh, hunting shows, places up in Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. If someone comes in here and they've got a bunch of antlers, you'll buy, and they're nice antlers, mm-hmm. you know, you'll you'll buy them. You'll do the same with capes yeah. and stuff yeah. as well. Yeah, I'll definitely buy capes from hunters. We're always needing that. It has to be the male. It's got to be a buck or a bull or whatever. It can't be the doe. Um, but the antlers, I'm not like a antler buyer that just buys hundreds and hundreds of pounds of antler, you know, buy the pound. I don't, I don't do that. I'll buy antlers. Someone wants to get rid of a, come with a truckload and they got a couple of deer heads and antelope head and elk rag and some miscellaneous antlers. I'll just make an offer and buy it all. But see, I'm needing all those loose antlers for fixing points on other antlers down the road. So I've got tubs and tubs of points out there that I've cut off of uh, elk antlers to use. So I I have a funny antler story, Uh right? There is this uh, guy we did a podcast with probably a month, month and a half ago. He's basically backpacked all over the world, right? Or, but he, he does it more like um, hitchhiking backpack. Although uh, a few years ago, he started doing more traditional backpacking, but he's been in South America, Colombia, spent last year and a half or so in Costa Rica, right? Um, but he's been coming back, he came back and he was doing more through the national parks and stuff like that. And then hitchhiking between them. Did a podcast with him. He left. He was backpacking across Colorado, doing a little bit of hitchhiking. And he sends me a photo of a really nice deer antler that he found. And he doesn't know. He's like, are these worth anything? I'm like, that's a a good deer. And I was like, like, did you find a match set? Yeah. And he's like, no. I was like, check within two, three hundred yards. Check for things that might get caught on, things like that. And so he did, and he, I don't think he ever found the other one. And he's like, where would I sell this? I was like, there's antler buyers, you can do this. So he goes and he sells it, and he thinks, wow, this is awesome. I just made 16 bucks off this antler, right? And so then he gets a hitchhikes, gets up by Yellowstone, starts hiking through the park, and he finds a elk. Mm-hmm. Antler set. Which you ain't allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. So he takes it in. Like, hey, guys, look at my elk antler I found. And he promptly gets a citation and a court date and everything else to go with it. And he was like, what? So. Got to know the rules. Yeah. And now we have uh, antler seasons here in Colorado. I knew it was coming. They'd done it in Wyoming for years, and uh, it, it needed to be done. I mean, I like antler hunting as much as the next guy, but you got people that are out there way too early. They're almost scouting the herds, you know, waiting for antlers to fall off. They're trespassing. They're out there when uh, it's still wet, the ground, and they're tearing it up, you know. And they're in the breeding grounds, just, yeah, calving grounds. Just all kinds of things. And they'll do stuff, uh, and and – the Department of Wildlife has countered that by having some GPS-located antlers as well out there. So, because I know a lot of times I've seen where people go in before they're supposed to. Find them, stash find, them. Find them, stash GPS them. GPS them. Yeah, GPS them. All of a sudden, it's two hours into antler season. And, and look what I found. Yeah, look what I found. I got like a whole truck full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's that's a known thing out there, too. How are you going to catch them? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Daryl, uh, just one more thing before we sign off of this first part here. Where can people find you? 
if they want to get something mounted, if they got antlers to sell, whatever. Well, I got a website, got Facebook page. Uh, before me and Google had a little clash, I was at the top of the page whenever. <laughs> now you can't hardly find me, but I've got so much business that thank you, Google. But everybody here locally knows me. That might uh, affect my out-of-state hunters that are like just looking for a taxidermist, you know. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I'm in Grand Junction. Uh, uh, the office phone number, I can say that. Oh, yeah. 970-243-2933. And leave a message on that if for some reason you don't get us. But during hunting season, this place is always covered. Whether I'm out hunting, employees are going to be here. They know what to do. Um, but always, if for some reason you don't catch us, leave a message, we call you back. Now, are you still doing poker on Wednesdays? You know, once COVID come around, we kind of shut it down. Oh, yeah. And uh, so you should have a lot of money saved up. So we'll get you back out here and we'll <laughs> we'll take that money pretty quick. Fill, fill me with a little bit of crown and all of a sudden just start. Okay. Yeah, uh, drink all you want. We'll put you on an air mattress for the night. <laughs> Those are the ones we like playing poker. That's, that's what you got the dungeon for down there. No, that straight flush doesn't beat a pair of deuces. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Uh, can people come check the man cave out? Or come is out it? here anytime. Okay, bet. cool. You bet. I think and if you get on my good list, then you're invited to all my little parties and functions that I have around here and out on the front porch. I'm always out there. Uh, what am I doing? Looking at my views and having a cocktail. You're, that's you're, at night. After work, after the health club, then I'm out there. It's not like during the day. You're a lot more social than most people think of taxidermist oh yeah yeah i always thought of taxidermist as as like you know some creep and it's partly because of movies some creepy guy down in the basement got all these heads this is awesome wait till you see me down in the basement i'm a creepy guy (laughs) that's true true. yeah cameras off no i think the uh uh, the mortician that's the that's kind of freaky because you know you mess around human i mean these are animals no biggie but I don't know, man. And they're awesome specimens yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it is an art. Like, you can tell these are quality. I've seen some bad mounts out there, but these are all, like, stellar. And, and the way taxidermy works, how you get into it, you can be self-taught like I was. That means back in my day, I was starting back in the 80s, you went to the library and checked out a book that was already 30 years old. So learning self-taught, you can self-taught, of course, nowadays you got YouTube, you got all these things that you can look at, but you can take these courses. You know, it's a little taxidermy school that might last a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever. Very expensive, but you know, you can learn that way. And they're usually here's your diploma. They pat you on the back and say, Good luck. You know, a lot of those guys don't make it, some of them do. The best way to learn would be working for a taxidermist that's a good taxidermist because if you're working for one that's not that good you're learning all those bad habits you know and carrying it on when you're on your own so the best way is to learn from a taxidermist that is good have have any of your employees went on to just start their own yeah and you know any owner of a taxidermy business has to know that when you have employees they're thinking in their mind they want to do that someday and go out on their own so you have to expect it yeah and it's just going to happen um how do i go from minimum wage to making the big bucks yeah because i think i make more than you know a dollar more than minimum wage now yeah. i've been doing this so long exactly so yeah so those those are your ways of learning you can be self-taught you can uh, take take the school or learn 
and I teach like a one-on-one. I don't advertise it. If someone is, is here, oh, it's so cool. I'd love to learn how to do this. How do you do it? And I'll tell them, or you can take my course, you know, and then we find out what they want to learn to mount. I just had a guy uh, turn him loose. He's, uh, he'll come out next week. Uh, he graduated from the Corps, old, probably back in January or so, and he's got potential. He's uh, oh yeah, yeah. He's got. Really How long is your course? Well, it depends on what animals you want to do. Um, I usually tell a person a couple of months, and then I let you hang around and and kind of work for me and still keep learning. And then I don't just pat you on the back and send you on. When you're going to start mounting some things bring it out here and let me supervise you while you're doing it. I could be mounting a deer head while you're mounting it. Because if he graduated from the course in January, he's going to forget some things by the time he's going to start, you know, taking in business here in September. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, being the kind-hearted person I am. It's like, yeah, come on back. I'll I'll supervise you and help you out. Paying it forward. There you go. Yeah, awesome. So so there's harder animals, like there's kind of like advanced animals and – well, easier. anything that's like a short-haired animal, you got to do smaller stitches, uh, like an African animal, all those. It's not that they're harder to mount, it's just their hair is less forgiving. You don't have, you know, long hair to hide your stitches, so you got to be okay. a little more precise. Um, as far as one animal being harder than the other, it would be the position on that animal. Like, we got a desert bighorn sheep out here. We'll look at that form. It's laying down. Anything that's laying down, legs are all bent up against the body, those are way tougher to do because you've got little nooks and crannies that you're trying to work around as opposed to one standing up on all fours. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let's take a tour. Well, awesome. Let's we'll, check let's it out. Let's move on to the tour. Let's do it. I want to thank you very much just for the this Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Seek Outside podcast. Hope you enjoyed it this week. Remember, we do have an email address if you would like to leave any questions, comments, concerns. We'd love to hear that feedback. Uh, That email address is podcast at seekoutside.com. So feel free. We're always here. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.